0: Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. As you're turning there, uh, Mike Proud is going to be coming and preaching. At our services on September the eighteenth, and I, I hope you've had a chance to get to know him. He's been here a couple of times already, as he's been going all over the state to work to try to uh, get to know the churches a little bit uh, better. Uh, I am very thankful for his heart. Um, he's got a lot of experience with uh, with denominational and associational ministry, and he's just got a really strong heart for the gospel. And so I, I hope that came across, but if it didn't, um, it'll come across on the 18th. So I hope that you'll uh, just continue to pray for him and pr- pray for this Colorado missions offering and how you can contribute. Every penny that you give will go to see that those missionaries and ministries will be funded and we get to be a part of that. And I think that's just tremendously uh, exciting. So let's get into the word this morning, Mark chapter four, verses 35 to 41. Let's stand together as we honor his word. And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. You may be seated. God is working in your life right now to put you in the exact and the precise position for his purpose. We'll say that again. God is working in you, regardless of where you may be in your walk, if there is one. Some of you may not have trusted Christ yet. But I believe that God is working in each of us to put us in the position that we need to be in for him to accomplish his purpose for us, the, in this particular passage, we're looking at this in the wake of Jesus speaking four particular parables to the crowd, but also to the disciples as well. And the the goal for that first parable in Mark four one to twenty was the fact that we need to have a heart that is ready to hear the word, the seed of the word, to hear to accept. And again, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we we sometimes miss this part. We're called to bear the fruit of the word, all of us, not just those of us who may be professionals at the matter or the called and sent out necessarily in in an official capacity. All of us are called to receive the word, to hear it, to accept it, and to bear the fruit of the word. In the the next parable, he's talking about how Christ and his word must not be hidden. We hide his word in our heart so that Christ's word would not be hidden in our ministry and what God has called us to do. We are not to put the lamp under under the bed or under a bushel, but to put it out to where everyone may hear it and we are called to pay attention to what we hear, to make sure that we are hearing it and accepting it and bearing fruit. The next one talks about how the seed, when it's scattered, um, it does its work. We may not see how it's working. We may not trust the timing of the work or wonder wonder how the timing of the work is going, but we see it at work. And it begins to grow and it begins to bloom and produce. The parable of the mustard seed says that the, the, the slightest thing that we do, the smallest thing that we do as far as the word of God and his ministry, God will use it. Even the smallest thing, even our smallest giftings, God will use it. And so Jesus now is continuing to plant seeds. He's continuing to do a work that he is showing his disciples something they need to know for when he is well gone from the earth. And when we look at this passage, this is something we need to realize as well. It was no accident that the disciples were out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in basically a hurricane. It was no accident that that happened. Now, the situations that brought it about seem to be very arbitrary. It seems like that Jesus was just bone tired. We've all been tired. And then there's bone tired. And so Jesus, and what what we call it in uh, in church world, mission trip tired. You know how that, that, that is tired, tired upon tired. And that's where Jesus was. Because it's a reminder that Jesus was fully God, is fully God. and He's also fully human. And he was one who ate and drank and bled and was hungry and was thirsty. And he died. And he rose again. But we see all of this coming to pass. And so when Jesus, he gets into the boat. He gets into the boat um, because there's nothing else that he can do. It says that he went into the boat as he was. And he didn't go and get his cloak. He didn't go and get some other things for the trip. He couldn't do anything at that point. So he was just getting into the boat with a sense of urgency. Guys, I can't do any more right now. I need to get me some rest. Which shows that rest is also working for the Lord, right? If you keep going and going and going and don't take those Sabbath breaks, you're not honoring God. You may be impressing a lot of other people, but you're not honoring God. You need to be taking those breaks and get the, and develop those rhythms for the long-haul ministry, not just for those, those short times, right? Yes. yes, that's exactly right. So when we look at this again, let, let's just deep look a little bit again into 35 and 36. Number one, where Christ puts us in the exact position to where, he, where to where we need to be. All of us are going through various chapters of our life. And some of this they may be just a great chapter where everything is just going well. You may feel untouchable. It may seem like the, you know, the money may be flowing in. Your health is, is robust. Um, everybody likes you. Everybody listens to you. You may be in a position of influence. And you're like, wow, this couldn't get any better. This is great. Well, good for you. That's, that, that's good. God has given you a great season of life. But that doesn't mean that God is absent when you may be struggling. Many of you are struggling or know or have, have folks that are struggling with health issues or emotional struggles that are going on, uh, relationship issues. I mean, and, and so you may be in a, in a season right now to where you're thinking, wow, I'm looking at this other person that's going through some great times. Why has God put me in this position? And I'm telling you, God has you where you are. Because he is showing you something about himself, but he's also showing you something about yourself. You need to know these things. And sometimes, most of the time, all of the times, we learn these things through affliction and trials. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, well, you read through the entire Bible, but it's really clear in the New Testament that trials are our best teachers, that pain is a, is a great classroom for us to be able to learn about who God is and what he has done. And so he's getting in a boat, seems arbitrary, but he is going to put them out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee to show them something that they need to know. And God does this. In fact, he does it so much, if, if you read in Isaiah 40, where he talks about that he tells the stars where to go. Bob you, you, Star Bob, you go over here. A, AU 48, I need you going over here. And they go. The, the, the nature responds to the things of God. Everything that happens, God is putting them into, into a position. We go, have a midweek study. I encourage you to come to it because we have a midweek study now that we're going through the book of Nehemiah. And what Nehemiah is showing us is that God put Nehemiah in a place to hear about the walls being torn down and the gates being burned. God put Nehemiah in a position of prayer to where he's praying about who God is and what he's done and what needs to happen in them. Four months later, we see Nehemiah's in a position of being the cupbearer. And Artaxerxes is wondering why he's so sad, which is usually the death penalty, because you're supposed to be thrilled to be in the presence of the king. And he wasn't because it was finally getting to him. And as he sent up that little flare prayer, he started telling Artaxerxes what was going on, and God put Artaxerxes in a position to be able to help Nehemiah, who could be in a position to go back to Jerusalem, to be put in a position to delegate to all of these people to get the wall done in 52 days. Were there critics? Yeah, and in fact, if you read through that, critics begin to multiply. Isn't that interesting that cynicism and criticism is contagious? And if you're around a lot of critical and cynical people that don't seem to have a lot of solutions, I just want you to prayerfully consider your position because I don't think God has put you there unless you're there to affect that cynicism and criticism. We see God putting people in in these positions, and now we're going to see more about what exactly God was trying to show these disciples and, in turn, what he's showing us. Secondly... Christ puts us in a position to to expose where our trust truly lies. Christ puts us in a position to expose where our trust truly lies. And so now we go back to verse 37. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was, he being Jesus, by the way, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So Jesus was asleep. Jesus was asleep for a number of reasons. One, he was very tired, but two, he also trusted his father, and he trusted what was going on. He was in complete control as holy God. He was in complete control of the situation, complete control. Now, the, when a, this great windstorm arose, you have to understand the Sea of Galilee, 628 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by a bunch of mountains that were gouged with a lot of deep ravines. And these ravines served as like like giant funnels to where you know, when, when the wind comes along, it starts to move. And the, the hot wind that's there and the cold wind that comes over and that meets, and all of a sudden that wind is going, and it just brings about just brings about this environment that is basically a hurricane in the middle of it. And in fact, in Matthew 8, they use the word that we get from the word seismic. It was an earthquake. That's how shaken the boat was and the hurricane that was there. So you got an earthquake type idea going on with, these, with the hurricane. This was no small thing. And we've seen the boats. Those boats were not going to be able to handle it. But some of you know the story of Jonah, and there's a parallel here with Jonah. Well, Jonah was getting on the boat to go somewhere, not just to go to the other side of the lake, but he was wanting to go to the other side of the world. He just wanted to go to Tarshish. Why? Because he was being disobedient to the word that God gave him to give to Nineveh. And Nineveh was as bad as bad could get. That's how terrible they were. They were terrible. And, that, and so he gets on the boat. He goes to sleep in the bottom of the boat because he's not tired because of doing the work of God. He's tired from running from God. And the waves start crashing in. The boat's about to break up. The sailors up top are are trying to find a solution. The sailors in the boat with Jesus are trying to get the water out, but they're not succeeding. More water was coming in than was going out. What was happening there was is that God was getting Jonah, and the rest of them, there's attention to get Jonah back to where he needed to be because Jonah was out of position. And so, Jonah was running from God. Jesus is trying to make the disciples make sure they were running toward God. Jesus is that greater Jonah, if you read that from Matthew 12. See, we sometimes forget that when Jesus is on, our, on the boat, that nothing ultimate is going to happen to us. Not even death can be able to touch us. I was watching a documentary, I watch a lot of football documentaries, I watch a lot of documentaries in general, but I was watching an old documentary of the old AFL, and the San Diego Chargers had a, a gentleman by the name of Lance Allworth, who was an all-world wide receiver. Now, they were flying on a plane, and there was a storm that came up, and one of, their, one of the players, Ron Mix. Was He was talking about how scared he was because the storm was coming up on the plane. And he was wondering what in the world was going to happen. And then it came to him. Well, Lance is on the plane. God wouldn't let anything happen to Lance. And all of a sudden, he felt fine. Okay? Now, that's Ron Mix, an offensive lineman or alignment, he's looking at another human being and he's feeling better about some things. And yet the disciples were there and they had holy God in the boat and they were terrified. And so Jesus is putting them in a position to where they would see, okay, do, do you trust me even when the situations are, do you trust the circumstances that you're in more than you do the one who is over the circumstances? Which one is it? Now, some of you who may be a little skeptical about all things Christian, you may look at this passage, and I I can almost hear the conversation. Now, Pastor Matt, are you telling me that Jesus is going, in order to get his point across, that he's going to put his disciples in danger to the point of death, in order just to prove a point about how great he is? And the response would be, God is always working in the midst of our sin and brokenness in this world to teach us something. Our problem is, is that we look at our situation, we get so closed in about what's happening with us, we look at somebody else and we're like, I wish I could be like them. Yeah, but if you were to put yourself in their situation, you may realize what they're going through. They're just not letting you know about it because we at church, we're really, really good at hiding stuff. We're really, really good at that. And so, you I wish I was like them. Yeah, but they got their own stuff. And even the most in-shape person in the world has not been able to defeat the one thing that will get them out of shape, and that's death. We are in the land not of the living. We are in the land of the dying. And that's why Christ, the Son of Life, had to come and to bring us to that life. But Jesus had plans For the disciples, that once he was gone they were going to be facing some storms they were going to be standing up in front of some tribunals who had the life and death in their hands as far as civically they were concerned they were going to be standing up and having these storms going on in front of them they were going to go through danger they were going to go through harm they were going to go they were going to die in fact all of the disciples that are here except for john the baptist and judas by the way but except for john the baptist all died a horrendous martyrdom John lived to see them all go, and he died out in the middle of that rock in Patmos for the faith. So we tend to think, well, if I'm gonna trust in Christ, then nothing bad's gonna happen. I'm telling you this God will give these trials to you to either to to, to bring you back and to discipline you to where you need to be. So everything that's going on has a purpose and a meaning. And we've got to lean into it. But the question is, will we lean into who he is, knowing that he's above all, or will we set false expectations on him saying, well, I heard on TV that they told me that whenever I came to Christ, that everything would go good. I'd be healthy. I'd I'd have all the money in the bank that I wanted to do, do whatever I want to do. We have just basically baptized the American dream. And we've made it, and we've we've rebaptized and put it into the prosperity gospel because that's what the American dream says: you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be prosperous. But Jesus says, you may not always be healthy, but I'm there in the midst with you. You may not always be wealthy, but I am your riches. You may not always be prosperous materially, but you will prosper eternally. And we have to trust Him in all of that, and not set false expectations on Him. And then when it doesn't go the way we think it's going to go. We blame God. But what we're doing is we're setting false expectations on him. Jesus is the one as Lord of all who sets the terms. That's why we have to be in his word. God was working with these disciples to get them ready for what's coming. And that's what he's doing in us. He's working in us to get us ready and to put us in a position where we need to be. As we get into this last one, just keep up these three words in mind. Salvation. That God is working his salvation in you. You may not be a follower of Christ right now, but he's brought you here. You've been hearing the word. And so he's bringing you to a point to where he is going to rescue you from your sin and brokenness if you'll just submit and surrender. Um, You may be a follower of Jesus, but you're still struggling with stuff. Well, he's getting you in a position of sanctification, to where you're going to be there for his holy use, and he's going to kick out all that stuff in the flesh that doesn't belong so his spirit reigns full and free. And service, he's getting you ready to where you're serving him, not yourself anymore, but you're going to be serving him. He puts us in these positions. He puts us in these positions that we may not even recognize or realize is happening, but praise God that he's not done with us. He's moving. He's working in us to revive us and to bring us to a place A full surrender. Here's the last one. Christ puts us in a position of awe and wonder. I hope hope for your sake. He put them in that position. But one day you'll be standing before him in awe and wonder. We just want want it to be on this side of judgment, not on the other. Because one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee... We, we just want you to do that now before it's too late. Look at verse 39. He awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said, peace, be still, or literally be muzzled. Or if it was like my dad, okay, that's enough, right? It's basically like you have condensation on your window and he just wiped it. And now it's clean and clear and calm. You notice all the greats that are going on here. There's a great windstorm that came up, and there was great fear. And now there's a great calm, and great fear is coming. Hang on to that. But he's, he's basically saying, it's enough. And it was like that. Done. Now, if you were in the boat, and you saw something like that happen, and you know it was too big for an illusion, too big for a magic trick, how would you have responded? You know, we all we think, well, of course I would have responded well, but you got to remember when Jesus rose from the dead and he he gathered all the disciples around him. Before he gave the great commission, it says he was he was standing there, flesh and blood, standing there on this side of the resurrection, and it says that some worshiped him. Do you remember what else was said? And some doubted. You could be looking at something and G, and God could be showing you something right there and you're like, yeah, I don't know. You can be looking at something in his word. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Really? But that's how we are. We have these filters on us that sometimes gauge us and send us in the wrong directions. Great whirlwind, great fear, great calm. But Jesus needed to show them in this type of setting. And Jesus needs to show you in this type of setting, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of nature. He's Lord of his church. He's, he's the one that is setting history in motion. You're like, I don't like how history's going. He's taking it somewhere. He's taking it somewhere. And he's showing us much about himself in the meantime, and he's showing us a lot about ourself in the meantime. Where's our trust? What do we trust in? Jesus needed to show them that he was Lord overall. I, I read to you from Psalm 104 earlier and you know it's a nice psalm it's a fine psalm but it also connects to this if you remember from psalm 104 verse 5 he set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved verse 6 you covered it with the deep as a garment the waters stood above the mountains verse 7 at your rebuke they fled at the sound of your thunder they took flight so so there's a passage here that's talking about how God is there to calm the storms. In Psalm 104, 1,000 years before Jesus comes here and is doing that in front of the disciples. Jesus is God Almighty. He's fully God. He's full deity, second person of the Trinity, and He is there on earth to show that, and to, to bring His kingdom, and to show that He is Lord over all, and as Lord, we surrender to him as Lord and say, Lord, you put me exactly where you would have me to be. And you do whatever is necessary to get me to where you have us to be. Now, you're like, well, what, 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 wait. I'm not sure about that one. But we have to get to that point. If Christ is Lord over all and we are pursuing him, then if he takes us through the valley of the shadow of death, if he sends us through those trials, if he sends us through those tribulations, we know from so many passages in Scripture, Romans 5, 1 to 5, James 1, 2 to 8, that those trials are there to bring us where we need to be. Again, trials are great teachers. Pain is a tremendous classroom. It shows us a lot about ourselves. In Colossians 1:17, all things were made by him, Christ, and for him. So here's my question to you. Remember those three words, salvation. Some of you have been spending a whole lot of time running from God and his saving grace and mercy. I don't know why. Maybe you had someone in your life that didn't represent him very well, and you're like, well, that's how Christians are. Uh, if, If that's the case, I want you to take a look around and see the Christians that are here in this room. They're not like that. And so the devil has allowed someone to take you captive from what Christ has done for you. They've become Lord of your life because you're submitting to what they're saying about the things of God. Or, so, or, or maybe there's just certain things in the Bible you're like, yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe anybody could rise from the dead. Well, if you look at the evidence... It's pretty undeniable. It's now you have to just be like, okay, I'm just going to, I just don't want to deal with the effects of it. Because here's the thing. If you trust in what Christ is saying about himself, if you trust that he is alive, then that means that that's going to mean something about your life being changed. And maybe your life is Lord of your life. Maybe you've worked really hard to get where you are, and you don't want to give it up, not even for God Almighty, not even for your own soul, you don't want to give it up. Is that really worth it? Is that a cost-benefit ratio worth it? It's not. See who Christ is. See what he has done for you. Now, some of you, you're already followers of Jesus. And you came to Christ, walked the aisle, signed the card, prayed the prayer, got on the roll. You've done all of that, and now you're still living your own life, but all you think that Jesus is there for is to get you out of hell and get you into heaven. And even when you go to heaven, you're like, well, I want heaven to be just like earth. I want to be able to do the stuff that I wanted to do here, but couldn't. Heaven is Jesus. And we can have heaven now serving Jesus. But heaven is is where Jesus is. He came to rescue us from ourselves and from this earth. And If there are still private or public sins and behaviors and attitudes that you're holding on to, that Christ is saying is not a part of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If that's not a part of who you are, but you're holding on to those old behaviors and those old attitudes and that old speech, and you think that Jesus, you think you're a Christian just because... You made a decision at one point in your life, but there's been no change. Remember, hear, accept. What's the last one? I'm seeing if you're awake. What's the last one? Hear, accept, bear fruit, obedience. If you're bearing fruit that's rotten and not according to the things of the vine keeper, Then you have to examine yourself and say, Am I really a follower of Jesus, or am I just using Jesus to get out of the hot place? Service. God has called us rather than to serve ourselves or to serve the world or to serve the devil. Now we can serve him. And we move forward and ask God, put me in a position to serve you. And to serve you, as the old hymn says and the old psalm says, to serve him with gladness, to serve him with joy. That's what he's called us to do. So where, where, what position are you right now? Is God putting you in a position to come and trust him as Lord and Savior? Then trust him as Lord and Savior this morning. Don't wait another day. Is he calling you to an area that where you're holding on to some of the flesh that doesn't belong, but you don't want to repent of it? May the Holy Spirit so convict you and so work in you, you have to repent of it before you leave this place. And maybe he's calling you to an area of service. Well, I don't know if I can do that. He'll give you the strength to do it. Trust him in that entire process because Christ loves you enough to rescue you from your sin and rescue you from your brokenness and put you in the exact and precise position that he would have you. He's taking you on a journey. Trust him in the process and obey him and bear fruit when he calls you to do so. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've brought us here for this this way and for this purpose. You've called us to hear your word, to accept it, but also to bear fruit. And Lord, Lord, I pray that as you send your Holy Spirit to every heart in this room, that revival would take place. That you would revive us again and again and again and again. And Father, I pray that your steadfast love and mercy would be a reality for us, not just a theory. Oh, yeah, I've read about that, but a reality. Yes, I've experienced it. I know it because he knows me. I love him because he first loved me. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have accomplished for us. And may we, Lord, see what you're doing in our lives right now and trust that you're putting us where you would have us for your glory and for the good of your church and for the good of our neighbors, for the good of anyone that comes across us. And wherever we are right now, Father, have us to trust and repent and to move forward in the direction you have for us. But if, if there's some here that do not know Jesus, please, please so convict them, so move them, so change them that they wouldn't leave this place without knowing you and your son as Lord and Savior. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for these two objects that stand before us, Lord, as a reminder of the steadfast love and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We get ready to sing. And what this song is is not simply a song that's kind of a buffer to uh, have us to, to leave here, but it's a hymn.